Welcome to the Genius Room, an ingenious podcast. At Ingenious, a small web design and digital marketing agency in Greenville, South Carolina, we're focused on helping local businesses grow and thrive. We love to educate and inform. And in that spirit, we wanted to share some of our insights and conversations with you. This episode of the Genius Room comes from an interview with Don Kuntz, an award-winning historian and president of Fern Creek Creative. Over the course of this discussion, we talk about the history of Greenville's Scottish heritage, the economic and cultural impact of the Greenville Scottish Games, otherwise known as Galibray, the ways in which our history affects our present circumstances, and advice on how to lead our community into the future. Keep in mind, since this was recorded at a networking event, the audio quality isn't perfect, but don't let that deter you. It's well worth your time. Enjoy. So we're joined by Don Kuntz. Uh, he's with Fern, Cre- Fern Creek Creative, um, also with Galibray and the Scottish Games, uh, and also uh, leading up the Remember Old Hickory campaign. Um, and so Don is our guest this morning, and we've got a few questions for him. Um, so Don, tell us a little bit about how you first got involved with the Scottish Games. Well, the Games was 13 years old, and uh, we've, the, Greenville is very heavily uh, populated with Scottish descendants and principally because and to, to make this a very short story during uh, after the Battle of Culloden in Scotland James I outlawed all clans and tartans and weapons and forced clansmen to become farmers it didn't work they forced them over here by the hundreds of thousands they came into Pennsylvania Nova Scotia they were Highlanders so they moved up into the mountains and then down the wagon road to this area, to Virginia and Tennessee and North Carolina and South Carolina, the textile industry sent wagons over the mountains to pick these families up and bring them back here to work in the textile mill. So most of the operatives in the textile business were Scottish. And so, that's, that, and so that, that was a natural setup for us to start the Greenville Scottish Games. What is your favorite part of the games themselves? These guys. We, nine years ago, we decided, uh, first of all, we, we decided to move the games from, from June, which is rather, rather hot, into May. And so we moved to, them to, uh, to Memorial Day weekend. And we decided, uh, w- with the advice of the last commanding officer of the Scottish Army, to bring over uh, eight members of the Royal Highland Fusiliers, the two Scots, which are decorated uh, combat uh, unit and and part of the Royal Regiment of Scotland and so we brought these guys over for eight years or nine years and this is the ninth year next year will be our tenth and they're really top drawer young men and uh, we're really proud to be and the very fact that they fought that the Scottish battalions and the Scottish regiments fought with the 30th uh, and Americans uh, in, in World War One and World War Two and they've been fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan with American soldiers. So it's a really great partnership. That's awesome. Now, so we're all familiar with St. Patrick's Day when suddenly everybody becomes Irish for the day. Um, you know, when it comes to Scottish heritage, just how many of us here in the upstate actually have some level of Scottish heritage? Every time I go out and speak to uh, textile uh, families, to uh, the textile mill villages, the ones that are left, you know, there may be a hundred people in the room, and I ask for those who have Scottish descendants and, I mean, uh, Scottish heritage, 
and easily uh, 60 to 70 percent of them raise their hand. Uh, as far as the rest of, of Greenville, you know, I don't know where all these people are coming from, but they're all coming in here. <laughs> and they're coming from everywhere. So we, we can no longer say we're predominantly Scottish, but we are. Uh, so it's, it, it's very proud heritage, in, in my opinion. That's great. Now, when it comes to the games themselves, what kind, of, what kind of impact does that have on the community at large, both from a kind of an economic standpoint and a cultural standpoint? It's huge uh, because we're doing 20,000-some uh, out at Furman. Uh, downtown, almost 10,000 uh, people watch the parade, uh, and and it's a, it's a very strong piece, and, and it's at Furman, and I think it's a very strong piece for for Greenville, and for we're we're known in many circles now, but especially by the Standing Council of Scottish Chiefs as the number one games in this country. The primary reason we we are the number one games is these guys, is the, the, the fact that we do, we dedicate the games to the armed forces of both countries. So yes, I think it has a huge impact on, on tourism uh, for sure and the economy of Greenville. Awesome. Um, now, you mentioned earlier kind of the Remember Old Hickory campaign. You know, tell us a little bit more about kind of what what that's all about and kind of how that connects with Greenville. Well, the, the, as I mentioned, the 30th Division, the Old Hickory Division, who the Old Hickory Division was named after Andrew Jackson because the, 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 the soldiers were from Tennessee, North Carolina, and South Carolina. They were uh, uh, National Guard troops that were on the Mexican border and were brought up here to form the 30th Division and they trained, they built Camp Severe for them. There were 48,000 soldiers at, at, in the 30th at Camp Severe, including all the support um, uh, elements um, uh, and, and, you know, communications and, and signal and, and, you know, armor battalion, all that kind of stuff was part of it. But they trained right here at Camp Severe, and that's pretty significant. And then they were, they were sent over to France where they fought alongside the British and the Scots and, and the Canadians and the Australians. And they literally broke through the line, through the Germans Hindenburg line, which nobody else had been able to do, and, uh, and, and which led directly to the end of the war on the 11th of November. Uh, they broke through on September 29th, uh, 1918. So it's uh, it, pretty significant. It's significant for us in Greenville because they trained right here. They started right here. You mentioned Camp Severe, which was a massive um, camp. You know, what, what significance did that have for Greenville both then and now? <laughs> well, I won't, I, it, it, it's very funny. The, the camp was between here and, uh, and Taylor's. <clears throat> if some of you remember where the Old Surrounders Hospital was, that was the front gate. And it went all the way out to where the railroad crosses under Wade Hampton. Of course, Wade Hampton doesn't ex didn't exist then goes all the way up into the mountains above uh, Paris Mountain State Park and all the way below where uh, Wade Hampton is now. It was almost 2,000 acres. And then they had an artillery range up at River Falls uh, that was pretty sizable. And then they had another camp at north uh, on the Gear Highway north of Traveler's Rest, or excuse me, west of Traveler's Rest. Greenville is really messed up as far as north, south, east, and west. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the West End really is South. Come on. Anyway, <laughs> and, 
And so, uh, but, but, you know, it was, it, there was another camp to, to uh, teach uh, soldiers how to blow up railroads and then how to fix railroads uh, when they get to France. And so it was a pretty sizable operation. And it was a huge influence on Greenville. The very first paved highway in Greenville County went from downtown Greenville to Camp Severe. The Army built it, and it was concrete. And that was the first paved highway in this area. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the economic influence was huge as far as education, medicine. Uh, Greenville General Hospital was started by the doctors at, um, at Camp Severe because they, they were having to handle so much of the mustard gas uh, injuries coming back that they couldn't afford, didn't have the time to handle the influenza epidemic that was hitting Greenville at the time. So they created Greenville, basically created Greenville General to handle, to handle all the influenza epidemic. So, it, yeah, it was a pretty significant impact. Um, are there things, you know, outside of the hospital that, that we can, I mean, obviously we don't have a, a large military installation here in Greenville anymore. Um, are there other um, kind of remnants of that that continue to impact us today? Well, I mean, you have to realize in Greenville's history, we were a military town. I mean, during the Spanish-American War, you had, you had Camp Wetherill, which was huge. It was in two different brigades. One uh, north of town out where Cherrydale is, all the way from Earl Street to Cherrydale, and the southern brigade was out where uh, Greenville General Hospital is, all of that area where Mills Mill is, all that was the second brigade. And then World War I, of course, Camp Severe, but then World War II, you know, you had, uh, you had Donaldson, which not Donaldson then, but it was Army Air Base, which was the major training base for B-25s, B-26s, B-27s. Jimmy Doolittle trained here. Um, they weren't stationed here, but they trained here. They, they did runs here. So, I mean, it was a huge military. And then the military went away, the wars ended, and we had to reinvent ourselves. But Greenville has a history of reinventing itself, uh, which is fascinating. You've spent a lot of time studying the history of Greenville and kind of under, helping a lot of people understand, um, you know, our history. You know, how do you see understanding our community's history um, and its impact on our present day here in Greenville? Well, you know, we always say, you know, history repeats itself. And uh, it, it's, it, it's very interesting. I, when I moved to this town, I, I was a stranger. It was 1975, and I asked a member of the board of directors of the Chamber of Commerce to tell me a little bit about the history of Greenville. He said, there's no history here, it's just an old mill town. And I said, well, where were the mills? And he said, oh, they're out there. <laughs> and it took me two and a half years to find all the mills and then map them. But the point is, uh, I, I really think history of Greenville is very important because what we've done, it goes back to the textile industry because the guys who built the mills 18 mills within less than three miles of where you're sitting. 18. Nowhere else in the world had that many mills that close to an urban downtown. They not only built an empire, they built Greenville. And, and I mean, seriously, they got together early on. There's nowhere else like it in the world. They got together early on and decided to build an empire. They served on each other's boards. They basically made the same things. They, uh, they, and, and if you look at the map, you see how close the, uh, the, the mill villages are. But, and they also decided to build Greenville. All the major things from the community library to, to the, the, West, the Poinsett Hotel uh, they built for their customers, all of that. Um, it, so it had real significance, and it's all about leadership. It's about two things. It's about leadership, 
and it's about public-private partnerships. They started the whole concept of public-private partnerships, and they certainly start, are the foundation of the leadership that has caused Greenville to be what it is today. No question, no question at all. It's, it's clear that you have a passion for this. How, what, what sparked that? I think, I think that getting to understand what the roots of Greenville were and, and what the leadership foundation is, is what really caused me to be passionate about it because Greenville's a remarkable place. I mean, we, we lead the country in downtown redevelopment and it goes on and on and on. One of the top 10 in, in arts, uh, you know, and it all comes from the, the concept of leadership. And, and I'm, I don't want to make this a leadership lecture, but it's true. It's, it all comes from people understanding the big picture and understanding what's good for Greenville and, and how we can move ahead. Now, you know, we got a lot of stuff being built today that I have real questions about, but, but we're, we keep moving. You know, it, it's interesting. I used to do a lot of, I don't want to get too into this. I used to do a lot of work for consulting with small towns who needed to change their identity, or if not the name, to change their brand. And so we would rebrand the town, and I'm not going to mention any towns, but, but and, and, and websites, all that kind of stuff, everything. And the, the, I always heard from city halls, county uh, leaders that they wanted to be Greenville. You know, I always heard that. Going back to that town 10 years, 15 years later, they're exactly the same. And all they're doing is complain. Well, we can't. The, the paint's peeling off that building. We can't really change that because the owner won't. You know, he's not going to. He doesn't want to do anything. And then the poor part of town. We can't really do much over there because, 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 because. They complain. Greenville was never like that. We still have our problems, but we. But the leadership has continued to move ahead, and continued to get things done. I've been on the chamber board uh, twice. And we never sat around ever and complained about what we didn't have. We always uh, said, what are we going to do next? You know, uh, let's look at advanced materials. Let's look at automotive research. Let's, you know, it, it, it keeps going. So anyway, I didn't mean to get involved in that, but, but it's, it's real important. So you, you've, you've told us a lot about the, the history of Greenville. Um, you know, and I know sometimes this can be a, a little bit of a challenge, but what's next? What, what does the future of Greenville look like in, in your view? What are the challenges that are on the horizon for us? They're huge challenges, and there are also some real dangers. I mean, we can overdevelop, uh, you know, we can become a Charlotte, we become an Atlanta, and I hope not. I mean, we don't want to build a, we don't want to build a wall around Greenville. <laughs> it's pretty scary. But uh, at the same time, we, I think it's, it, it puts more pressure on the leadership of, of this area to make wise decisions. And right now we're kind of uh, building helter-skelter and, uh, and opening the doors to any developer that wants to come in and build anything on a piece of property. Um, I think that's a danger. I think we've got to be a lot more, um, uh, a lot more um, at least thoughtful in, in planning. Uh, you know, we, we created Vision 2005, we created Vision 2025, and out of those, those uh, vision planning processes really came a lot of things, from the governor's school to all the, all the other things that, that came out of that ICAR, uh, came out of those planning processes. I think planning processes for a city are 
essential, but they have to be done wisely and with the right people, with the right leadership. So I, I, I think we have some real opportunities, but I think there's some also some real dangers. Um, you mentioned that history kind of repeats itself, but there's a lot that we can learn from it. Um, you know, if you had to kind of narrow it down to the, the one piece of advice that you give each person here um, for, for us to learn from our history to help lead us forward, what would it be? Get involved, uh, pure and simple. Get involved, Get, uh, look at what's going on in this town from a wider perspective than this is where I am. Uh, that's the one problem, and I tell this to uh, Leadership Greenville classes all the time, it, it, it really takes a broader perspective from leaders. We have to have a, a big picture uh, and, and to make really wise decisions rather than this is what I'm all about, you know. Uh, we, we have a lot of, we have a number of people in this town that, that it's all about what's in it for me. That's a more selfish perspective, but we also have a great deal of very fine leaders and people who who could be real beneficial, but they're but they're a little bit myopic. And my advice is open your mind up and look for things that are happening in this town, and what what could possibly not that you might not be able to make a difference specifically, but you can find out what's wrong, uh, what's going on, and then maybe uh, partner with some other people. That can that can make changes. That's what makes a great city. Awesome. Well, thank you, Don, very much for being here. Let's give Don a round of applause. That's it for this month's podcast. Thank you for stopping by the Genius Room to listen. As always, if you want to hear more in the future, make sure to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For July's episode of The Genius Room, we'll have an interview with John Moore, CEO of Next, whose work has helped to create a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem in the upstate. That interview will take place during our next networking event, which is taking place on June 28th at the Warehouse Theater. Doors open at 8 a.m. and the interview starts at 8.30. We hope to see you then.